0: looking at chapter 2 verses 7 through 10 as we continue our study of Paul's letter to his disciple Titus Paul has been showing to us the qualifications for elders and the importance of elders because there are those who are empty talkers who deceive and then we looked last week at Paul's instruction both to older men and older women and to younger people in the church, how they are to conduct themselves. So let's take a look now together at God's holy word. If you'd please give attention to the word of the Lord, it is inerrant, it is sufficient, and it is Authoritative. Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word, that you would remind us of the, not only the great truths that are found in it, but also, Lord, that you would spur us on to obey it, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would each be more and more each day like our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, as I said, we have looked, especially last week, at patterns of behavior for people in the church, things that are supposed to mark both older men and older women and younger people in the church. And Paul is being very deliberate about this, he is describing not just actions, but Character, demeanor, what it means to be and look like a Christian. And I think perhaps if we take a superficial glance at chapter 2 so far, we might be a bit confused. We might ask ourselves these kinds of questions. Well, just how important are good works? I mean, really, aren't we Reformed Protestants? Isn't the thing that we emphasize faith? Aren't we supposed to talk about belief in Jesus Christ and de-emphasize good works? I mean, we all know that no one gets to heaven by good works, right? So why spend time talking about it? And why in such detail? This is, I think, a very good question because we don't want to be in the spot where we are talking about good works as something that we must do in order to be right with God. We're going to look in a minute that it's very specific who Paul is talking to here. But at the same time, we need to remember that there is a place for good works in the Christian life. There is a, dare I say it, gospel place for good works in the Christian life. And Paul is going to tell us about that this morning. He's going to tell us that good works are an important part of the life of the Christian and the witness of the Christian in the world. And he does it from several different perspectives. First, we will see that he tells Titus and the people of the church in Crete that they are to be models of good works as they lead, models in leading. But lest they think that there is too much importance attached to leading and always seek to be at the forefront, Paul says, no, there is also a need to be a model of good works in serving as well. Not only a model in leading, but a model in serving. And then finally, he will tell us that there is a purpose to modeling good works, that we are to model for a purpose. Model in leading? Model in serving, model for a purpose. Let's begin then by looking at being a model in leading. Paul begins this section by urging Titus himself, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And so he wants Titus to show or to manifest, to make clear the good works that he has. And so the very first question that we must answer for ourselves is, what are good works? If I'm going to show them, I need to know what they are. And we must first disabuse ourselves of a common notion in the world today. Good works here in the Bible are not just nice things. It's not just things that you do that make people smile. Now, there's nothing wrong with people smiling. There's nothing wrong with being nice. But that is not a biblical good work. One does not do good works merely by trying to get the attention of others for oneself. As a matter of fact, you could say that is the opposite of biblical good works. Biblical good works are not about us. They're not about emphasizing what we do. It's about emphasizing the glory of God. Now, the other thing that we need to remember is we need to notice who Paul is speaking to. He's speaking, first of all, to a minister of the gospel in Titus, and secondly, to that church in Crete. He is not talking to unbelievers. He is not talking to people who have not come to the place in their life where they have professed that their only hope is the work of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that. Because if you are here today and you do not know who Jesus is, if you have not put your full faith and trust in Him, if you have not put aside everything that you can do and begun with Jesus, that is the starting point. See, Paul is not saying to us, you must begin with good works. No. He is saying, the Lord has already begun a work in you. He has brought you to Himself by Christ. And as a result of that work of God, good works will be shown in you. You see, good works are a product of God's work. It is not something that we bring in to ask God to work in us. It's a very important distinction. Good works are consequent, kids, after salvation, not antecedent before salvation. Good works are things that Christians do. And Paul makes this very clear to us because he always points to faith when he speaks about good works. He talks about the Lord's work, faith in Christ. And so he is asking Titus here to take these good works and to model them. So our second question would be, well, what is a model? Now, for many of us, This is very simple. I imagine there are at least more than a few among us here who are currently speaking, or who have in the past, built models. You don't need to raise your hand, but you understand what I mean if you've ever smelt the glue around a model airplane. If you've ever snapped the pieces together of a model car. And you know what a model is. The best models come with a little mathematical formula on the box, right? It tells you the scale. One one one-hundredth, one-twentieth. It is a full model of what the real thing is, but it's just to scale. That's what Paul wants for Titus and for us. He wants us to be a model of the good works of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to scale in our own context who we are. And so being a model will look different if you are sitting here right now and you are 8, or if you are 18, or if you are 38. But you must still be a model of good works. You will do different good works based on the work of Jesus Christ in you. But you are a model. A model is an example or a pattern of things. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and in keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. A model is someone that you imitate, that you follow after. It's what younger siblings do with older siblings they try and walk like them, talk like them, do school like them sports like them. We model and imitate so others can follow after. You might also finally think of a model in this fashion. In this particular Greek word is used, it's a way that we describe the mark that something leaves when it is left on the surface. You know, like these new newfangled foam mattresses. You know, when, when I grew up, everything was box springs and squeaking. But now we've got these wonderful foam mattresses that you take your hand in them and you push in and you pull away and you can see where your hand was. It's an impression that's left on the surface. Paul is asking us to leave an impression for others to see who we are and what we have been. Now what does it mean to manifest these works, to show them? Well, what it doesn't mean is to show oneself off. You see, Paul is not saying to Titus, Okay, Titus, clean off your best suit. Put on a good show. Make sure everybody can see you. It's not a single thing to be done here or there. This manifestation of good works is seeing the natural life of a person in all respects. You see that here. In verse 7, Titus is to show himself in all respects a model. That means day in, day out. That means who you are ordinarily and naturally. And so this is a real challenge for us, isn't it? It is easy to put on an act for a short period of time, right? You do that at times when guests come in. Now, I don't mean to say that your household is horrible or a mess, but we all, when we have guests put in, we put our best foot forward, right? And that's the reason why it's so difficult to have guests for longer than two or three or four days, especially those of us that have young children. Young children, the younger they are, the less apt they are to put on an act or to put their best foot forward. They tend to break into natural behavior. And you see, Paul is saying here, we should not be on guard. As Christians, we should not be stiff. We should not be seeking to put on a mask so that others see us, and then when we go home at night and turn off the lights, we take the mask off, and we are who we really are. Paul says we must be who we really are in public. Sometimes... That will not be pretty, but it will be real. And we need to seek to be models of good works in all of our life, not just in an act. Now, there is also, Paul says, a motive, a manner, and a matter to showing oneself in good works. The motive he strikes here in verse 7. He says that we are to be in all our teaching To show integrity. Now, notice that Paul here links works and teaching. Because Paul understands the truism that you cannot walk up to someone and say, do as I say, not as I do. Those two things must be aligned. And he says, as we teach others, as we show others, as we manifest good works, we must begin with integrity. It must begin in the heart. Now, that in and of itself should shock us a little bit. That good works do not begin in the hands or the action, but they begin in the heart. We must have integrity. This word means being uncorrupt. It means being pure. Being honest. It means that the motive we have in manifesting good works is a pure motive. Now, This very specifically tells us who then can perform good works. It is only those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because only they have a heart that is regenerated by the Lord. It is only by getting a new heart, by being born again, by seeing the reality of life and my actions in light of God's glory that I can possibly perform good works. And so I can't begin with me. I have to begin with God and with integrity in my heart. But there's also a manner in which these good works are manifested. It's a manner that Paul calls dignity. Now, this is a very serious, somber word. It describes a seriousness about the things of God. But it describes seriousness, not melancholy. So the serious person is not the person who walks around all of life with a frown, grumbling, muttering under their breath, taking the joy out of every situation in life. No. The dignified person is not the person at the birthday party who after the candles are blown out and everyone claps and says another birthday, says, yeah, another year closer to death. That's not the dignified person. The dignified person is a person who shows a seriousness about the things of God. A humility about the things of God. This actually describes more than just actions. It describes the man himself. He is a man of dignity. Seriousness. Are you marked by that in your life? Now, once again, this is applicable not just to adults, but also to young people and even to children. There is a time for joy. There is a time for frivolity. But there is also a time to be serious about the things of God. For a grown adult, it might take the form of serious time on our knees before the throne of grace. For a five-year-old... Who can't spend between two to three minutes without fidgeting, it might take the form of seriously trying to learn a Bible verse by memory. And that might involve singing. And that might involve reciting while you twirl in a circle. But there's a seriousness about it, about the things of God. You are focused on the things of God. There's also, in addition, To the motive and the manner, there is a matter to our good works. Paul says that we are to show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, this word for speech here could describe Titus or Paul's public teaching and preaching. And I think it certainly encompasses that. But I don't think Paul gets the rest of us off that easy. It's not just sound words from the pulpit. It's sound words at the dinner table and in the office and in the playroom and on the baseball field. You see, it is a soundness of speech. This is again this word. I hope you're noticing that Paul really likes this word. This word healthy the word we get hygiene from, sound, life-giving, life-sustaining, it is the kind of speech that other people want to be around, because they sense it's for good, for building up, not for evil, not for tearing down. This is what marks the Christian, a person who has purity of heart by the work of God, who desires the things of God with great dignity and seriousness, and this permeates all of their being, everyday speech. It is speech that is beyond reproach. You remember we said earlier when we looked at the qualifications for elder that all of those qualifications, except teaching, applied to all of us? Here's one of them specifically. The elder is to be beyond reproach, but every single one of us, including you, children, is to have your speech, beyond reproach, to not to be able to be accused by others. This is how we lead in serving. We are on the forefront describing who Jesus is by our actions. But there is a second way in which Paul describes how we are to model good works. It's modeling in serving. And I can't help but think in my mind's eye that the Apostle Paul, church planter and pastor, had in his mind people when he said these things. As your pastor, I can't help that. I describe activities or encouragements, and I people's names and faces rush through my mind. Now, of course, I don't. I don't share them to embarrass anyone, but you can understand this. And you see, Paul knows there are some in Crete who will model good works more easily by leading. And they need to be encouraged also to model good works in serving. And the same is true vice versa. So Paul says it's not just being out front that's important as a Christian. It's also serving and being in the background. And he does it in such a way to make his point emphatically. He brings up a class of people who are not broken up by age, as he has done before. He brings up slaves. He says, Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Now, lest you think, well, I've heard that, and I don't need to worry about this at all. Because since... 1865, we don't have slavery here. And I've never been a slave, and I've never even known a slave. Maybe in other parts of the world, maybe God left this in the Bible for the Sudan and other parts of Asia. But here, no, no one's a slave. Well, you need to understand that slavery as a class in Paul's day encompassed more than what we would think Of chattel slavery. That is people being bought and sold. A slave did not have his freedom. But a slave could own a home. A slave could get married. A slave could conduct business. A slave was just simply bound to his employer. When we describe it that way, it becomes a little bit more applicable, doesn't it? Everyone here... Who can quit their job right this minute? Raise your hand. Who doesn't need a paycheck right now? And who isn't retired? Oh, I don't see a lot of hands. Because many of us, most of us, are not independently wealthy. We require an employer. We require a job. Now, we are much more free, to, free in our movement than slaves. We can... Move from city to city. If we can find another job, we can find a different job. But the principle applies. This is not just about slavery. It's about an employer-employee relationship. It's about ordinary people like you and me. So this is describing us as we live and serve others. Don't try and hide from the Holy Spirit. Don't try and hide the application of this text from you simply by saying, well, I don't fit the definition of a slave. Paul describes how we are to serve others, how we are to model good works in that service in two ways, both in attitude and in action. And in both, he gives the positive and the negative side. And he does it in what appears to be like a big X. Do you see that? He talks about positive, and then negative, and then negative again, and then positive. He does this for emphasis. So he begins by describing what a positive attitude is and we should have. He says that we are to be well-pleasing. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that you should do whatever anyone ever asks you to do in the hopes that they will like you? No, that's a bad self-help book. That's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. What Paul means here when he says we are to be well-pleasing is that we are to give satisfaction to others in our role in life. Others should look at us and say, now there is a good worker. That's a guy that I would like to have on my team. Now, there is a woman who really knows what's important. She is focused on her children. She is focused on the things that are before her. Now, there is a really good student. There is a a young man or a young woman who applies himself. I wish I were more like that. I wish my children were more like that. You see, to be well-pleasing before others is to... Give satisfaction. It is to prove our aim in life. Our aim in life, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, is to be pleasing to God. If the chief end of man is to glorify God, the chief aim of man is to be pleasing to God. And so in our attitude of all of the things we do, whether you are a rocket scientist, a doctor, a lawyer, or an Indian chief, you are to do your tasks in a way in which shows that you are seeking to please God. It's an attitude that others see before us. Now this is especially applicable, I think, to young people. Because young people are always in a hurry. There's an old saying that youth is wasted, what? On the young. And you don't think that until you start to get a little bit older. And then you realize it. Because young people are always seeking to get to the next thing. If we could just get through the school year. If I could just graduate from high school. If I could just graduate from college. If I could just get married. If I could just have my first kid. If I could just get my first job. And tend to race through life. And what Paul is saying here is... Your attitude should be that you seek to serve the Lord where you are right now. All of those things will come. But take joy in where God has you right now. If you're engaged, enjoy being engaged to the glory of God. Marriage will be great. And when you are married, enjoy being married to the glory of God. You will have children. And when you do, you will have children to the glory of God. But do not jump ahead of God. Have an attitude so that others see that you are content. Because you see, that's what this is about. You are showing good works to others. And if you are constantly saying, Oh, I wish I was only otherwise. Oh, I wish my life was otherwise. Oh, I wish I had a different job. Oh, I wish I had a different family. Then people are going to look at you and say, What's the purpose of life? And why should I be a Christian? Because all Christians do is complain. And if God is sovereign and in control, why do you complain about your life all the time? It's an attitude, a positive attitude. But there's also the negative side of it. That is, there is a positive reinforcement and a negative prohibition. We are not to be argumentative. We are not to be marked by difficulty. Now, I think I can give you a visual picture here of this in words. The exact Latin translation of this Greek word is contradict speak against do you get the picture we are not to be people who are always speaking contrary people who are always argumentative who when someone gives us 90% we argue about the next 10% we are not to be seen as people who are complainers and yes Christians whiners Our nation does not glorify God, but I find it troubling in my own soul when I whine about the state of America, when I think about life would be like if I were born in Morocco or Tunisia, where I would live in abject poverty, and for simply owning a Bible, I would likely be killed. American Christians have come to the point where we have been so blessed by God that we have become whiners. Myself included. The Word of God is to help us see in that mirror, to see that by the grace of God, that is not what God has for us. And the circumstances that God has placed us in are for His glory and our benefit, and we should reflect an attitude that says that to others. We should be different Because the other thing that we should know if anyone reads any newspapers or watches any news is that the rest of America has a PhD in whining and complaining. And so if we are different, if we show that we are content with our lot, that we are content with the Lord, and that we are seeking our good and others' good, people will look at us and say, there's someone who's different. There's a change in that person. You see, this is what we are called to do, to show Christ to others. And you see, ultimately this is a heart issue, not just an action issue. We're to have this kind of a model in serving in our attitude, but we're also to show it in our action. We must not only talk the talk, we must walk the walk. And so Paul says, in verse 10, that slaves are also not to be pilfering, but showing all good faith. Now, again, he's going to do a negative and a positive. And he uses a wonderful word here, pilfering. Old translations use an even better word, purloining. What does that mean? What does it mean to pilfer? I don't pilfer. Maybe the kids look at my... Do, do we pilfer? Mom, do we pilfer? Well, I will say that to the slave one of the greatest temptations in life was pilfering. And I think it's also true of you and of me. What does it mean to pilfer? Well, let me see if I can describe it a bit. Pilfering is skimming off the top. Pilfering is taking when you don't think anyone will notice, when there's enough. Pilfering is finishing off the pitcher of sweet tea when you know dad's outside mowing the lawn, and you put it on the counter and leave, and hope no one will notice. Pilfering can also be, no one's ever done this, right? Where they poured a big glass of milk from the container and left about one millimeter of milk in the container so that it looks like there's still milk in the fridge pilfering is a great temptation to slaves but also to you and me because it has built-in excuses. Well, they won't miss it. It's just a little off the top. And especially a slave could say, well, you know, they owe me anyway. I'm not paid enough at work, so, you know, if I steal copy paper or pens, they owe it to me anyway. They didn't give me that bonus that they said they were going to last year. You see, pilfering is an easy way To show that we are not bought by the blood of Christ. It is a great temptation, but a very serious sin. Do you know who's guilty in the Bible of pilfering? Same word. Ananias and Sapphira. Didn't end up so good for them, did it? They held back. They pilfered. Same word. What was God's? But there's also... A positive way, we're not just prevented or enjoined from doing things that are wrong. Paul says that we should, in our actions, show all good faith. And when he uses the word show here, it's a different word than in verse 7. It's a word that is more ostentatious. You remember before we said it wasn't about a show, it was more about a manner of life. Here it is more of a public display, that we are to publicly display that we are faithful, that we, are, that we have fidelity, that we have honesty before others. And it extends to all areas of life. It is something that we as Christians should be known and marked for. So then the question comes to you. Is that how you are known? Are you known as someone who is faithful in all things? Are you known as someone who, when you give your word, people know you will keep it? When you say you will be on time, you are. When you say, you know, I'd love to help. How can I help? You actually do. You see, this is where words really matter. Because if we don't back up our words with actions, then we betray the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be people who are models of, both in our leading and in our serving. Well, why? One answer could be because the pastor says so. Another answer could be, well, because the Bible says so. Do it because the Bible says so. But you see, the Bible is so much grander, so much deeper than that. The Bible tells us to do things, but it tells us for a reason. God has a purpose here in asking us, in demanding of us to be models of good works. Because good works are really about us and about the gospel. Several times here in this passage, Paul does something that seminary professors and others remind us of. Maybe you've heard this. Someone says, whenever you teach or you preach, you need to ask yourself the question... So what? Right? Why? So what? Do you notice here, in verse 8 and in verse 10, Paul says, so that. You say, so what? Paul says, so that. This is why. This is why you are to be a model of good works. And the first, so that, is that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so he begins to speak about the community aspect to our behavior. Whether you like to acknowledge it or not, we are living in a community. As a church of Jesus Christ, we do not need to get community. We are a community. It's just a matter of whether we do that well or ill. We are in this together. And we don't have a choice about it. Because last time I looked, God did not ask my opinion or permission about who should be saved, about who should be my brother or sister in Christ. We are in this as a community, as a body. And God has called us to this. It is part of a bigger picture. And so what we do as individuals has consequences throughout all of the body. What I do doesn't just affect me. What I do affects you, and and vice versa. Now, Now, think about this. This is true in a family, isn't it? When someone does something in a family, it affects the rest of the family. Now, kids, how many times in your life have you not gotten a privilege or a benefit because one of the siblings did something they weren't supposed to do? We were all going to go to a movie, but you know, Bobby did this, and now we've got to stay home and clean up at the house. I'm sorry, kids, but we've got to do this now, right? And so we see these kinds of effects in the family that's also true in the church. And Paul is being very deliberate about this. Do you notice in verse 8 he says, So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about He could have easily said about you, Titus, but he says about us. He's calling him together in this community. We also need to be aware that we are not helping the enemy of the community because there are enemies of the gospel. There are those who oppose. And when we do not model good works, we give them comfort. We don't like to give aid and comfort to the enemy, do we? How many people here want to send funds to the Taliban or to Al-Qaeda? Why not? Because they're the enemy. So is Satan. So is the world and its beliefs and actions. Do not give aid and comfort to the enemy by your actions. Do not give the enemy hope. Instead, we are to silence the enemy and protect each other by our actions. So there is a community aspect to this modeling. Lastly, there is another aspect, an aspect of what Paul calls adorning the gospel, adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the second so that, and this is very important. This is the third time in this beginning of chapter 2 that Paul has talked about so that. He did it in verse 5. He did it in verse 8, and now again here in verse 10. Now, adorning means to put something that is beautiful in order so that it becomes more obvious that it is beautiful. There's a wonderful example here. Every lady will be with me. This word for adorning is the same word that was used of ancient jewelers. Right? Ladies, on your wedding band, on your rings or necklaces. Does it just matter if you take a big rock and stick it in there? No. Ladies take all kinds of time looking. Is it surrounded by gold or white gold or platinum or silver? What size are they? What shape are they? Are they diamonds? What is the pattern? Right? Because you want to adorn that piece of jewelry, set it up so that it glows, so that it is more beautiful than you thought it would be. That's what we are to do with the gospel. The gospel is beautiful in and of itself, but we are to adorn it. We are to help the Lord, to be the vehicle for the Lord, putting it in order for others to see. This is a critical aspect of the Christian life. It's the way in which others very often first hear the gospel. Luther said, first we must perform good works, then they will hear our teaching, then they will be converted. For the gospel's sake, you must manifest and model good works. You are not an evangelist if you are not serious about good works. That's what Paul says. The final thing that we must understand about this adornment is that it is the doctrine not of us, not of the church, but of the Lord. And so as we adorn this gospel, we are glorifying God in all that we do. And that is what we are called to do, is it not? So, in conclusion, how you live today matters. You must, not may, not should, not it would be great if, you must live a life that is worthy of the calling with which you have been called. It is God's purpose for you. You are to model good works because you are called in this world to model the Savior. Are you prepared to do that? Because the Lord is prepared to give you strength. To be patient with us as we stumble. But we must commit to this to be a model of good works for others, that the gospel may go forward, that Jesus Christ may be glorified, and that the Lord may be seen to be all in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You have encouraged us on to good works. We thank you, Lord, that you have so decreed it that we are not able to do any good works apart from Christ. So we ask, Lord, that you would first please drive us to the Savior and the cross, that we might be changed, that we might be built up, that we might be fit to be ambassadors for your gospel. We ask this, Lord, in the name above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen.